Right, welcome to the Brio Digital Tech for Good podcast. Um, this is the fifth podcast, and I'm delighted to be joined by Phil Bottomley today. How are you doing, Phil? I'm good, thank you. Good. Um, Phil works for Avenue Free. Phil has an extensive background in health tech and technology, so really delighted that Phil's decided to join us today. Um, so, Phil, if you want to kick us off and just give us a bit of a background to, to you and your extensive career and, and what you've been working on over the years. Yeah, sure. Um... I probably categorise my career as, as as just building things. I've just always <laughs> yeah. I've always built things from when I was very young. I used to be uh, obsessed with Lego or uh, yeah. Duplo or train tracks or just building toys. And throughout my career, I have built things. I started off as a uh, junior software engineer, straight fresh out of university, and worked my way up the ranks. What made you go into engineering in the first place, Phil? What was the were you doing it always or was it just straight out of university for I could probably take this on? I was always interested in uh, computers from a yeah. younger age. They weren't as fancy or as mobile as the computers that we have today, but I was always interested in computers. Right, is that X Spectrum? Do you go that far back, Phil? Yeah, I Amstrad, Amstrad, <laughs> Spectrum, right, all, yeah. all the old school ones. Um, yeah. So I was always fascinated with computers as a child, but I never quite joined my building passion for my computer passion until... I kind of entered university and then discovered that I was actually really good at putting both of those two things together and hence right. that turned into uh, software engineering. Right, okay. So, what, where did you start out your career as a junior engineer? So I started off at a very, uh, a very small uh, digital agency, so building very simple uh, websites and building uh, modeling tools, so mainly yeah. sort of uh, front-end type um, uh, applications. Right. And then, I, and then I moved up the up the sort of complexity scale really into more building more complex systems for uh, different agencies and building more enterprise systems and then I moved up up further then into uh, architecting systems rather than building them and then I moved in from You've rapidly gone through all that and what do you think made you progress what it seems quite quickly through your career and what advice would you give to junior developers that are starting out I think it would be you have to focus on probably three areas when you when you're a software engineer one of them is you have to be very proud in your work. So mm, it is quali pride. quality is really important in building something that's um, got good foundations and uh, works, you know, first or second time is probably good advice. But the second thing I think is as well, you've got to, everything's about delivery. Like it's all about delivery. So having excellence and being excellent at building software is is useless and it's wasteful until it's actually delivered into the hands of the user. So that'd be my second part is don't be too quality focused, but don't be too delivery focused. There's a happy balance between those two. Right. And the third thing I'd probably say from a software engineering point is building relationships with people that are not software engineers. So working with a client, understanding the other people's points of view, understanding what the client wants to get out of it. It's not a technical project. Software engineering is not a technical skill. It's actually a technical skill combined with being able to speak to other people and the users and, and that customers. might scare a lot of engineers though phil especially some that i've met over the years um but it's, it's soft skills you know it's a really really important part of engineering is that why you feel as though you maybe progressed quite quickly i think in your career yeah i think you've got i think you've got to have both i think you don't need to uh, you need to be T-shaped, so there will be certain developers that are very good at the soft skills, yeah. which, which are okay at the technical skills, and that's fine. There's a place for them all. There's yeah. a place for everybody. You've just mm -hmm. got to be well I think you've just, as a software engineer, you've just got to be well-rounded. You've got to be well-rounded, and you've got to be, you've got to be good 
at everything but excellent at certain things you don't have to be excellent at everything you just have yeah. to be good at everything and excellent at certain things okay and then if you you've worked for consultancies haven't you in the past phil do you feel feel as like gave you more broader domain knowledge across a variety of domains and it looks like you kind of settled into healthcare as well was a reason behind that yeah yeah i think consultancies give a really good variety yeah so the good thing about my career is i've worked on very lots of different challenges and different clients in different areas um I think I focused on healthcare because I was just always drawn to healthcare because healthcare is a very complex area and a very it's it's a very uh, it's a very challenging area which is some of the downsides but some of the upsides are if you solve those challenges and if you can digest that complexity then it's hugely hugely rewarding because obviously the, the end customer is patients and well the outcomes are probably the best outcomes you can the get best in outcomes tech. That you possibly could yeah. get. Yeah. So I think I managed to become a specialist in healthcare by uh, having that variety but also then discovering what I liked. Mm. So and I was drawn, I liked and enjoyed and was good at. Um, right. So that's how I ended up in healthcare because of that variety that I gained, but then I was drawn into that's where I sort of learned. Because what. of the complexity of health yeah. Health tech in the UK, it's obviously huge, massive, and very complex. It feels like your soft skills probably got you, you further in your career because of that, because you're having to deal with different consultancies. Yeah. And, and translating very complex problems very simply. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of that goes on in healthcare. Healthcare is extremely complex, mm. but uh, to get your uh, to get to make your customers happy and to move your projects forward, you have to be able to you have to be able to translate that complexity to in a very simple way because not everybody is complex, mm. you know. And the dis big decision makers don't aren't as close to the detail, so it's articulating that detail in a simple yeah. way. I think. That's okay, so Phil, you, you now run your own company, Avenue Three Health Tech Business that's based in Leeds. Um, when did you set it up, Phil? So we're we're reasonably new yeah. company so we're, we are in our first year of uh first year you're of, brave in this climate phil yeah we're, yeah. we're very brave <laughs> yeah <laughs> foolhardy <laughs> i think um we're in our first year i think we we um i i i have a lot of good mentors and one of my mentors said uh sort of articulated this very well about startups there's never good good time to set up a startup there is only imperfect timing is the way they yeah. is the way they phrased it. So when you put it in that mindset, if an opportunity arises and you feel like you've got enough momentum to take the leap, I think you should yeah. take the leap. And we took we took that leap, and uh, yeah, we're in that whirlwind. Well, we're kindred spirits. I set up during lockdown, <laughs> there you go. so I, yeah, I left a very good desk to uh, yeah go back down to zero and start in lockdown. So oh. yeah, that that was a leap, uh, and, and yeah, and then some. But yeah, it's going well. So um, how's it gone then in the last year, Phil, for Avenue Three? Yeah, re really, really well. I think I think there's certain things you uh, you expect. There's yeah. certain things you don't expect. So what, yeah. So <laughs> what are those things that you don't expect? I think some of the things that I didn't expect is more on the positive side. Is how many? Uh, I think because I'd worked in uh, consulting for a very long time. You don't you, you don't really because you're so focused on delivering for your clients and you're yeah. so you've, you you can become quite tunnel visioned. Yeah. And actually, I think I hadn't really popped my head. I've been working really hard the two years. Mm. prior I hadn't really popped my head up and sort of seen what was out there and obviously when you launch your own business you are putting yourself 
mm. out there quite strongly, as you know, yes. as you know, did it yourself. <laughs> so what I think I, one of the things I didn't expect is how many people would just get in touch with us yeah. and other small businesses, not necessarily competitors, some competitors, some non-competitors, just people trying to help, people offering help. And I think that, that's been really positive for me. Really. Well, I think the consultancy market, the, the tech consultancy market in Leeds is really buoyant. Yeah. And I think a lot of people do share yeah. um, knowledge, you know, often sales as well yeah. to help out. So I think it's it's a great place to set up. I think. Um, so, how, how many staff have you got now, Phil? Yeah, as so a business. So we're up to eight. Up to eight staff. That's really good going in the first year. year yeah. yeah. So we, so we've uh, we've gone up to eight. Um, I think that's we've met all our year one objectives in terms of our Amazing. growth plan in that first year so yeah. we're just we're just entering into our second year now and deciding what we're going to do next whether we're going to hire some more staff and what, what objectives we're going to lay out in front yeah. of us so we're really happy with the way the first yeah. year one has gone it's been great how do you convince people to join a what could be seen as a risky startup yeah. in a risky market well, well health tech isn't risky but a risky time yeah. you know how do you convince people how do you share your kind of your vision well I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you in a little bit to our uh, secret secret interviewing source here but it's not that well, go for it. <laughs> it's, it's not the answer isn't that secret is i think um being open with people and transparent about yeah. about everything in the interview process is the most important thing yeah so every every member of staff that we have employed we have been open and honest about the benefits yeah. of joining avenue three and the risks of joining our avenue three um, yeah so i think and every single person that signed up into our business was articulated the same message here's the good things here's the bad things it's not for everybody that's that's yeah. fine if that's not for you that's absolutely fine um, so that has been our approach all the way through and uh, that's really paid off do you feel like it, with it being health tech with, in the developer community that's gone down really well as opposed to maybe yeah. you know a retailer or a, or a bank not there's anything wrong with those industries but yeah. do you feel as like that ethos has attracted more people quicker than maybe other areas absolutely i think yeah. one of our other core values at avenue three is everybody's got to have Everybody needs a purpose, and I yeah. think and I think that tech for good, health tech space mm. gives gives that gives that purpose. Um, mm. So I think that that is something that we're really passionate about. Is what is mm. it, even uh, for every client that we work with, we really reflect on ourselves. Or if we're about to work with a new client, it's like what is the yeah. you know what is the long term social value purpose for what we're doing? And if it doesn't meet, it, you know, if we don't think there is any. You know, mm. what's the purpose that our employees and us and everybody are going to get out, our teams are going to get out of this. Yeah. I think that is a massive um, benefit to working yeah. in, in this sector. Okay. Well, what's your USP to customers and clients as a health tech business? It's a really busy market. Yeah, yeah, We've yeah. obviously, you know, that all the top four are operating in this market, yeah, yeah. some global system integrators. Yeah. Um, what, what's your ethos? Why, why are you a bit different to some of the other consultancies out there? So one of our very, uh, one of our very highly expert specialties mm -hmm. is we're, very, we're really good at uh, designing what are called open data architectures. Which yeah, we're going to talk about this as well, weren't we? Yeah, in terms of the open data. You're the, you're the chair. You're a chairman or a co-chair for the, yeah. the standard? Yeah, there's a new, yeah. Mo there's a new movement uh, starting in healthcare. This is the open data movement. And that okay. is all about how we design our systems in healthcare. Okay. And the reason healthcare has picked up on this, uh, picked up on this is because healthcare data, mm. if you think about healthcare data, it needs to be stored for almost 100 years. If you, if you just take that we need to store Rob Foley's personal data for... 100 years mm. but actually it systems don't last 100 years it systems are replaced on average about every 20 years yeah so actually when 
the the healthcare industry, not just in the NHS, but internationally as well, in Europe and starting in America, have sort of come to this conclusion that um, uh, designing systems whereby the data is more portable in that migration or is separated from the actual applications that we build is the way that we should architect systems. And right. we've become uh, very expert in that for the uh, clients that we work with and we do a lot of architecture work. For I was going to say, is it, an arch is it, is it a way you set up yeah. these systems from an architectural point of view. Yeah. So I've heard of Fire and HL7, which are they, are they separate? Are they kind of the messaging standards? Yeah, or? so they're messaging standards. They, comp yeah. they complement uh, the open air standard, but yeah. open air is a standard of how we store data, not, right. not how we transfer it. Right, so okay. it's more about how we store it on the hard drive rather than how we post it through the postman. So they're, they're very complementing, like they will both be required in the future, right. um, but it's a really a new way to build systems, not a new way to send um, data. Right. So where did this movement come out from? Uh, it's, been, it's been going around for a very, very, very long time. It, Has it? Yeah, it's been, it's been, uh, it's been around for uh, quite a few decades, um, right. but I think... Uh, Is it gaining more traction now? It's gaining more traction now. Before. And oh. some other wise person once said to me that if you, tra if you plot kind of the great innovations in history, mm -hmm. they actually have been invented almost 20 to 30 years before they actually then take off and become marketable. So yeah. People talk about tablets. Tablets, yeah. are, tablets are invented way before. Mm. Tablets have been around for ages, but they had just reached a momentum and a maturity where then they could be launched and become mainstream. I think we're, with open data and open air, um, we're moving to that as well. So it's about 20 years old, but now is the people are now realizing that the systems of today are not going to be fit for purpose in a decade's time. Right, so, okay. so it's really um, the momentum's definitely. And, and does this save money then for the government and the public sector? Is, is it stored in a way where they're not having to reinvent the wheel every 20 years to, to keep the data? Uh, I think is that it, how it works? I think it will make things cheaper in the long run. I think the big, yeah. the big benefit to the NHS is it means that when that data does need to be transferred, it can be transferred a lot easier. And I think the NHS struggles with joining up data between different hospitals and different yeah. agencies within the NHS. So that's the real benefit to you as a patient um, is that you will, in the future, it's not gonna happen tomorrow, yeah. It's a long-term it's a long-term movement. It's a bit like climate change. Can't be, right, solved, yeah. solved, can't, can't be solved today, but can be solved in twenty years. It, it, it is it is laying the uh, seeds to mean that we can transfer data between uh, NHS organisations more easily, and and also utilise more advanced technologies like AI. Right. Um, so AI AI is very good, but AI is only as good as the data that can go into it. So it's all about making that data quality. Is it making it more open source then in a way? And how, or is it all to do with interoperability of the different um, points of healthcare from like GPs to urgent care? Yeah. And... So I think definitely that, that uh, definitely makes it easy to transfer. Yeah. I think in terms of the transparency and the ethics, the good thing about having open data mm. is that you can, you can uh, you model the data and then you can share that publicly. Whereas if you are, have a, like a closed system, there's a lot of commercial sensitivity around that closed system. So mm. those suppliers don't necessarily want to share their data model. Mm. But whereas when you just take that out of the equation and suppliers can still compete on the functionality, but they're not competing on the data, the ethics become a lot more relaxed and the ethics around. Uh, yeah. I think there's a big, I think there's a big, um, I think there's a big public mood uh, starting around the worries about AI. And I think open data is, has a part to play in soothing those worries with the public. Because with open data, you can be transparent with the public about what you're storing. But if you architect systems in a more transparent way, then you can be transparent with the public about what you're storing. I think a lot of the, um, a lot of the uh, 
worries that the public have around data is they don't know even what's being stored. Like that's mm. the first barrier. Before you even get to the what supplier is, what the project is, what yeah. the government initiative is, there's no transparency on what's actually being stored. So open data helps alleviate right, okay. that. In just that first initial problem is what is stored about me. And are you implementing these architectures at the moment into various trusts and NHS environments? How, how's that going? Yeah, really well. Yeah, so yeah. because it's been... Um, it's been interesting to see um, in which areas of the of the NHS in England and in which areas internationally are picking it up. And I think there was a people predicted that actually the lower maturity trusts would pick it up first, but actually it's been the opposite. The highest maturity trusts have, oh, picked, right, it, really have picked it up first. Yeah. Um, so that's really interesting. Yeah. So we've got um, we're working with several clients in the NHS around um, architecting open data in the first instance because that's that's usually the be- the beginning of the journey. But we're also working with customers where we're building those architectures for them as well because we also have expertise in not just the yeah. designing but also the then implementing as well right okay no, brilliant um something we spoke about before you're doing some amazing work with christie's cancer hospital at the moment yeah, yeah. you've been working there fairly long term how's that going with the with the trust yeah what have you been working on it i imagine some amazing outcomes and deliverables that you've had with them absolutely yeah so uh, the, the work we're working on with the christie is we are building a patient engagement portal for them cool so, so if you're a, uh, if you're a patient at the christie and you're uh, you have treatment at the Christie and throughout that treatment because Christie is very long-term treatment because cancer or cancer is a very long disease mm-hmm. um, so throughout that period you'll have treatment at the Christie and uh, the good thing about the work we're doing is we're building a patient engagement port platform for the Christie which means that the, the patient throughout that treatment when they're at home can see where their treatment's up to they can contribute to their record they can see when the next appointment is they can get notifications about their treatment it takes the stress out of a obviously a horrible situation then isn't absolutely it? Yeah. yeah so communication is the key and communication yeah. is the key to reducing stress always yeah um so that that's um that's a really fulfilling project that we're working on for the christie okay great and um, what are you plans for the future with avenue three phil when we're looking yeah. to next year yeah so we're just keen to keep yeah. keep doing what we're doing delivering for our clients but also um one of our principles is also to uh be innovative and imaginative and be a bit disruptive so as well so we're just really keen to um work and design and build in this space to to tackle some of those are you going to be building your own products in the future do you think or are you going to be more bespoke to the no we have customer no we haven't got a plan to build any products just yet it's not something we've um excluded necessarily but we're a consult our bread and butter is um, consultancy and delivering yeah. uh, outcomes for clients. Brilliant. Right, Phil, I think that's been a great overview. No, thanks Thanks so much. I think that's been really, really interesting. Thanks yeah. a lot. Thank you. So, brilliant. Thanks a lot for listening, everyone. Um, there's going to be more podcasts coming out, so do hit like and subscribe from wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks a lot. Thanks.